Welcome back to another episode of Electric Entertainment, part two of In Search of Tomorrow. If you haven't gone back or listened to part one of In Search of Tomorrow, Ryan and I take a deep dive into 80s sci-fi with the documentary that we had been waiting on for months. We had pre-ordered it months and months ago, and it actually got started back in 2019, and then obviously a worldwide pandemic had a big impact on the creating of this, but it finally arrived. Oh, a couple weeks ago, and we were able to dive into the first half of this documentary. This is a five-hour documentary. If you haven't gone back and listened to part one, we kind of go into the details of the release itself. We do want to mention, um, if you've not had a chance yet, hop over to 80scifidoc.com. We put a link in the show notes. This is one of your only times that you can actually get in and order a physical copy of this release. As we talked about in part one, they don't put these releases out there on any uh, platforms for sale. What you'll see is this go out on like third party market, eBay, what have you, other than being able to order it through their site at the exclusive times when it's released and or when it's being uh, put together and crowdfunded, which is when we kind of got in on this release so this is your only chance really to get a physical copy that you're not going to pay a premium price for when they stop selling these and they're no longer available through their website so if you haven't had a chance yet hop over to their website get your physical copy um, because like we've mentioned it'll be streaming at some point but to have a physical copy on the shelf to dive into really um, kind of get the 80s sci-fi right at your fingertips and to be able to watch it anytime, anywhere, whenever you want to. Um, it's not always going to be on streaming, so uh, while you can get it, get it now. So hop over to 80scifidoc.com. Um, as you know, we're on a lot of social medias. We've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Letterboxd. You get a lot of a lot of movie reviews from the couch, from the theaters, and um, if you haven't checked those out, go over, check them out, and it's a good way to uh, connect up with us. So if you like what, what you're hearing, subscribe share it with somebody you know and here we go we're diving right in part two of in search of tomorrow ryan what's been going on since we uh last spoke about part one and gosh where did we leave off hey it's going good yeah we uh with this documentary such a huge undertaking right with as we know from part one being nearly two hours of Kind of dissecting this uh, huge documentary because there was just there's so much uh, so much material that's covered in this documentary from the films that everyone remembers knows and loves to classics to some that are maybe not as remembered as much that a lot of people don't know about like kind of the lower budget kind of B films. Uh, so there was a lot to get through and definitely a lot of films uh, left out there that they just weren't able to cover but I'm glad they were covered the films that we that we do see in this documentary um, but yeah we're picking up this part two starting off 
1985, right? Yeah, so before we do jump in, you, you did mention something that sparked a thought here because I did listen to another podcast where the filmmaker of this documentary, David Weiner, he actually was being interviewed and he's gone on a few different podcasts and he was talking about that very thing. There's so much out there in the decade of the 80s for science fiction. We've, we've touched on In Search of Darkness before as well. That's another documentary that he did. Uh, there's two parts out there of that already. There's a third part that's coming later in the year. Both of those documentaries for part one and part two are four hours apiece. Same thing with the science fiction side. He's like, I had to put it all out there visually so you can see the posters or the VHS cover art as you kind of watch this documentary and you can see all these other films that are out there that they haven't touched on and they don't necessarily in this documentary other than maybe seeing it visually, yes, it being acknowledged, but it leaves it open for future installments of this documentary. I think this is going to be a part one of future releases of science fiction for In Search of Tomorrow. I, I think maybe we'll see a part two, maybe even a part three, because it's just as deep of a genre as the horror genre is. And we've seen, like I say, part three coming out with In Search of Darkness. I, I kind of get the sense that he's not done with this in this documentary yeah. for this part one. Yeah, this sci-fi genre it's just as important as the horror genre is to so many people i know uh the horror genre has its fans the sci-fi genre has its fans but both genres have such a huge vast representation of films out there and i i think they they both deserve uh these kind of documentaries so yeah i mean i definitely see them revisiting this in in the near future with future installments because yeah there's just so much more to cover and uh, discuss about yeah and you had mentioned there's a lot of them that we didn't know about as we watched through this documentary we covered that in part one too there's several on our list that we're gonna actually there's a couple of them that i've already purchased and can't wait to watch them because i didn't know about them until watching this documentary and it piqued my interest on some of them that were, were unheard of to me that were highlighted in the film. We're going to see more of that in this part two as well as we go through uh, the list of films that were covered from 1985 up until 1989, which is what we're going to cover on this part two installment of our review of In Search of Tomorrow. So um, before we jump into 85, we left off at 84 and we came to a chapter break Um as you know, in this documentary, and we've talked about in part one, they cover each year of the decade. And then in between years, they talk about um, different different topics around the filmmaking. And um, it's kind of chapter breaks in between each of those years. And the one that we left off with was a chapter called Practical Creature Effects. And what I had had kind of jotted down some of the things that they had mentioned was like how and and I I feel that as I watch them too and some of the the movies I'm going to mention were ones that at the time made you think how did they do that because we we've, we've talked about practical effects but a lot of what we know nowadays with filmmaking a lot of cgi goes into everything i mean you've got some films that are completely cgi back in the 80s that was just kind of getting started a little bit but the the thing that they did most with these films were were the practical effects and that's what we've seen 
uh, with these, it, it immersed you into the story. And I mean, even at a young age, definitely kind of suspended your imagination. But even as an adult looking back and watching some of these films, it makes you really appreciate the the effects that went into it that were not done with a computer. They were done with an artist and a team of creators that actually put together these practical effects that you would think was an actual creature that you were watching on on film. Things that they talked about were E.T., Howard the Duck, Yoda, Alien, Predator. I mean, you look at some of these creatures that were puppets, uh, some of them that had a person in costume, and the way they did the practical effects in these movies was just remarkable. Now, some, not so much, but um, the heavy hitters on the sci-fi world and, and definitely the ones I just mentioned, wow, the practical effects were amazing. Yeah, the... Those effects, I mean, they really come out and you almost kind of view the picture um, a little more differently with it being, I don't know, it makes you appreciate the the creativity of it, the artistic side of it. I mean, the, it makes the, especially in sci-fi with these creature and special effects, it, it makes you um, view the film uh, a lot more differently because I know when I watch a, like any film, to, like today, when I'm watching it and I see these CGI, I, I don't know. I think of it differently, and I and I'm I'm entertained a little differently. Um, I know that when I will visit or watch like any of these classic sci-fi films from the '80s, that when these pre these special effects come up on the screen, um, it just I don't know. It puts I know it puts me in a different place, and uh, I just I, I enjoy movies kind of more. What's your take on it? Well, I had talked about that a little bit, too, on a previous episode um, when we talked about science fiction films, not necessarily when we got into this documentary, but I think it does for it, it, it does one thing that I've noticed as I watch these films back versus watching films now. Now, granted, the actors and actresses in today's films are phenomenal, too, but I think you just get a little something different back in, in those times when your actors and actresses were seeing something in front of them, not just a, a dot in a green space that they were going to fill in with computer graphics at a later point. I just think, think it brings some reality to the acting that goes on in some of these films, not... Not the ones that are super cheesy, right? But um, I think these these very strong films that have a lot of really good uh, creative practical effects, I think it adds something to the acting as you watch those films back that sometimes you don't necessarily get now because it's somebody that is trying to act and think and have to use their imagination to think of what they would be seeing as they're acting things out. Uh, with the CGI type films that that we see today, yeah, it's definitely a different dynamic uh, when that actor or actress can reach out and touch you. I don't want to steal from an old eighty song, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah. <laughs> if something's actually physically there and and they're able to relay a, a reaction and that emotion, you see it instantaneously across the screen. So like, I want to, yeah. So uh, Drew Barrymore was a, a child in et and the the thing they mention in this film in this documentary was they they talked to her because when et's dying um they became so close to this character this this practical effect extraterrestrial alien let's say 
um, yeah. that it almost became a reality to him to them. And when she came in, they talked to her before she would enter the scene where he was on a table. There were all the all these things going on around him. He was sitting there dying. You could see him dying on the table. Yeah. They said, "Okay, we're going in. The, uh, he's going to be he's going to be dying on the table. Remember, this is just a, this isn't real." She's like, "Oh, I know. This is this is fake." But when she stepped into that room and seen ET dying, she burst yeah. into tears. And and Steven Spielberg's like, "Get the cameras on. Let's start shooting yeah. now." It was an yeah. instant reaction to a a uh, physical being that was created and you wouldn't have had that if et was was uh just shot in uh with a computer after that uh portion of that uh scene was filmed that's what i think practical effects do to filmmaking that we don't necessarily see a lot of these days yeah that's definitely as real as it gets i mean that's that's real emotion and i I'm glad you brought up E.T. because in that doc, one of the producers, um, or it might have been the actress who played the mother, but she said a lot of the um, crew would, like, during, in between, like, scenes and stuff, they would, like, keep, like, E.T., like, in fully, like, operational mode. And it made, like, Drew Barrymore think it was, like, kind of... Real. Yeah, yeah, still a lot. I mean, yeah, that scene stole the movie it's yeah. still I mean, everyone remembers that scene so um you can't get that yeah with cgi so yeah so all yeah. right so bef- let's jump right in let's let's pick up 1985 and we're gonna we're gonna start this uh part two off strong with the year we're gonna be talking here and the first film that was highlighted from 1985 is one that we've talked about countless times and it is one that i think is is definitely highlighted well in this film i know a lot of people seen it if you haven't oh you're missing out and the movie i'm talking about and the one that was covered right off the bat for 1985 back to the future time travel and and what they talked about in this as well was What's the what's the three most important things in screenwriting is is what they they asked Bob Gale and he said it's character it's character it's character and my gosh back to the future that's what you get right it's all about the characters and the characters made that movie yeah i mean in my opinion uh, the greatest sci-fi film of all time i mean it's the epitome of that decade 1980s and you're right, Bob Gale, I mean, he hit it right on the nose. It, it, it was uh, all about character. And and kind of what attested to that was uh, choosing the right people for these characters. And they yeah. tell that fantastic story about they, in, in originally in the very beginning, they had it cast it all wrong. Yeah. Because originally, yeah, they were, they had filmed over a month of scenes with the actor Eric Stoltz. And it just wasn't there the the dynamic the chemistry with uh, Christopher Lloyd Christopher Lloyd playing the character of Doc Brown they just w- weren't meshing well and you know, I mean just thank God that Michael J Fox and everyone over at Paramount agreed to it to, to pull him off his yeah. huge sitcom show to get him uh, to sign on for this movie I mean he saved it he definitely saved it oh yeah uh, I couldn't imagine that film with any other actors than those that portrayed the characters 
in it. And especially with, um, with Michael J. Fox playing, uh, Marty, it just, I, I yeah. couldn't see that film any other way. For me, it, I think it definitely, if, if they would have went through and Eric Stoltz was Marty McFly. Yeah. I don't think it would have been as successful. It wouldn't have been as remembered because I think Michael J. Fox, Christopher Lloyd coming in together, um, it really was like a perfect storm of character, uh, story, location. I mean, a lot of those scenes were shot on the back lot of Universal. I mean, they, I mean, especially those scenes when they were back in the 1950s. I mean, it felt like you were there. Like, oh, it yeah. was just the locations were just, I mean, that's what I they mean, just. That's what they did a great job. Yeah. So it was the characters. I mean, it was a perfect storm. Everything in it was was just perfect uh, to fit yep. the T for a science fiction film. You had the characters, you had the place settings, the atmosphere, and the vehicle, right? The DeLorean. I, I couldn't imagine another vehicle that would be utilized in that film either that was would be better than what yep. they used. And and if and any you also think too, it's like I mean, all all those factors worked perfect and then um and then you throw in just this amazing score and the, the music like that oh, just yes. topped it off. Yeah. I mean, it's not only just, I mean, yeah, it's not only for me the greatest sci fi film of all time, but it's one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah. I mean, so, there's never been a story like it. So, spoiler, a uh, couple years from now, we're going to get to a chapter break that we're going to dive deeper into that music and scoring and, and all of that because this comes back into play. And I do want to yeah. say uh, we could spend the whole episode talking about Back to the Future. Oh. We will do a future episode devoted to Back to the Future parts one, two, and three at a future date because it is so uh, loved by us and it's one that we've followed, watched countless times throughout our whole lives. One thing I did want to mention before we move from Back to the Future was that they talked about the kinds of time travel in, in that film. There was uh, time travel where you can change the past, there's time travel where you can't change the past, and then there's this third kind that is time travel of Back to the Future. And that's what always amazed me about this film. It, it always was so creative with this one starting it, going back in time, then coming back into the 80s, and then leaving it with it to be continued, where they go into the future, and then they go back into the past, and then they go way back in the past with part three, and all of these being tied together, and seeing different scenes from those same movies throughout each one of those sequels was just always amazing with how well they tied that story together throughout all of those movies. Oh yeah. I mean, it's definitely the best structured like trilogy of any franchise that I've ever seen. I've never seen a franchise to where all the other films, uh, especially if there's, there's just three in the franchise. It, I've never seen them how, just how well they're structured together and how well they, uh, um, they, they rely on each other. It's yeah. not just like, it's not like a cash in sequel 20, 15 years later. Um, they knew what they were doing and, uh, the story really inter interconnects with all three films. And yeah, it's just outstanding. Yeah. And the characters, um, just, they're acting obviously but then uh the makeup and and how well they portrayed them as young individuals individuals of the time and then future older individuals of of being themselves as kids all the way to being themselves as grandparents was amazing yeah if you if you think of like if that if that movie was made today they would never use the same actors and actresses yeah. and just put them 
old makeup. They would just hire people that to play their old clo- Yeah, that, that looked well, close to so, it. Yeah, that was so original. Yeah, so we could spend, like I say, all night talking about Back to the Future, but we've we've got a break from it. And like I say, we will have an, an episode that covers that trilogy because it's such a great one in the future uh, on, on one of our upcoming episode so there you go we'll leave that as a cliffhanger to know that we're working on something out in the future to talk about back to the future but here we go cocoon was next that was highlighted a, a ron howard film about aging have you ever watched cocoon oh no i haven't actually and i told you this too uh last time we spoke that um i had never seen it and i I'd kind of heard about it, but I didn't even, I had no idea that Ron Howard of all people directed this because <laughs> I think a cocoon, I, I just don't picture him yeah. uh, direct. Had, have you, had you uh, seen it? I'd never seen it, nor had I heard of it. Uh, it did look pretty interesting and like one that I'll, I'll at some point uh, want to, try to pick up or watch somewhere out there. Uh, but no, I have never seen it or heard of it. So it's a bit about aliens too, right? Yeah, it's a really interesting story. It plays with this idea that um, these old people at this nursing home discover these like cocoons that are under the pool, yeah. like down in the water. And it gives them like like youth again. Like um, It oh. almost kind of reminded me of like a Twilight Zone kind of story, you know? So we the next one we talked about a little bit on part one, because this is one of the sequels to it with uh, Mad Max. And 85, we've seen Beyond Thunderdome come out. This is a post-apocalyptic film that starred uh, Tina Turner. And it really highlights uh, resource scarcity. So it was, like I had mentioned before, I liked all the Mad Max films. They all kind of had a little bit of a different flair. And um, this is probably one of the lower ranking ones out of of all of the Mad Max films, but still a good one. Is this one that you've ever seen before? No, uh, like I mentioned before, like I've never, I haven't seen, uh, because there's what, about four of them? There's four. You've not seen any of them? I've not seen any of them. but they are uh, definitely on my list to be um, yeah. eventually uh, check out. They're pretty um, good. Yeah, I, I would recommend. I know they've got a nice uh, 4K box set that they came out with these here recently. And I know Amazon was doing uh, some sales with their Prime Day. And I think it was actually one of them on there that was fairly reasonable. So I think you can get all, uh, all four of them like on a 4K Blu-ray release for like 40 bucks. So not too bad. The next one is one we actually have done an episode on early early episode back in season one right it was our first episode actually first ever episode movie review and uh here we are again talking about explorers from 1985 um i'll let you talk about this one i've got a couple things to mention but again this is one i know you really enjoy love and actually i only watched it because there was a uh, shout factory release of it at the time we were kind of getting this podcast going that we both picked up uh, watched and did a review on so if you want to hear some early recordings of us that were not that well edited uh, you can go back and listen to that in season one but explorers i know you i know this is one you you really love yeah joe dante this is a man i've i've seen this 
film so many times. Yeah, it's um, really about um, just about, yeah, being young, going on adventures and about these kids building their own spaceship and wanting to travel into space. And uh, it was just a very um, like like heart, you know, heartwarming picture. Um, I know that was it. Yeah. River Phoenix. Um, he, he was kind of like the kind of the main um uh, one of the main actors, but um, as well as what, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, Ethan Hawke. But what was bad about like it had terrible timing on its release because I, I think if it was released at another time, maybe in a different year, it had been a lot more successful. And so, uh, yeah, you, yeah, because we had talked about that too. But what I found interesting in this documentary, they talked about the release of it, and I didn't really notice this when we watched the film. But the studio had changed before they finished the film itself, and they were told to release it. So my understanding is the film wasn't actually complete uh, to the director's thoughts of where he wanted to get this completed to, and it was just pushed out there. So I think the timing of it for release was brought on because of the studio's push to just get it done and get it out. Yeah, and and it kind of, yeah, just kind of, fell flat because it went up went up against this yeah huge worldwide uh live aid concert that was that same weekend yeah and the weekend um as well it came out the same weekend as back to the future of all movies so yeah it a lot of competition so but it's got a huge following now and and they the reason for that they talked about which you'll see a lot of these movies from the 80s kind of follow this pattern was at that time it was the miracle of home video right that is when it started to gain that traction and get that cult following of this being a really good film yeah what i actually loved about what joe dante did was he he really didn't take that idea of because the story centered around these kids coming across alien like uh, other life on another planet so i i love how he approached like the aliens in this one like he didn't take it too seriously and if anyone has ever seen the movie you can see how just hilarious these alien characters are <laughs> i mean they that they, they like copy they 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 get their idea of what people are like on earth from television from yeah. of all cable you know network tv so their impressions of humans and earths are of like characters from sitcom shows and movies and commercials so i, I just love his approach on not taking it too seriously and just kind of having fun with it yeah and it just really plays it's just a real uh, just such a feel-good uh classic film for especially from the 80s but yeah it's you know it yeah it wasn't the biggest or most successful, but I think it over time, it's been one of the most uh, remembered. Yeah, it definitely gained traction. So a guy that, that we all, I mean, a, countless eighties movies that uh, we love comes from a, a guy. And as you, as soon as you hear his name, you're going to think of all these movies going to flood just memories of a lot of the great ones. Um, and we're talking Brat Pack, right? Uh, John Hughes, and the films that, that he came out with just, I mean, talk about such memorable films, but also just really good ones. And, and the one that came out in 85 that was such a great science fiction film that he brought to us was Weird Science. Yeah, Weird Science. And I'll just plug, I just did uh, 
recent uh, letterbox review on Weird Science. And it's kind of interesting, too, how you brought up, you know, a little bit ago we talked about Mad Max. Yeah. What's interesting is that character from Mad Max makes a cameo of all movies. He makes a cameo towards the end of Weird Science in the big house party scene. Yeah. You know, because the film's about um, about these kids who they're kind of nerds in school and, and they're wanting to kind of get popular and become popular. They want to um, get these girls their dreams <laughs> and really a fun take on a Frankenstein story. Yeah. And they create this just goddess of a woman in their, <laughs> in their, uh, using their computer. And I mean, it's, I don't know. You kind of, you have to suspend your belief a little bit. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh yeah. But it's good, fun science fiction yeah. kind of comedy, just, slapstick really makes really good feeling i mean it's a john hughes 80s film and it it gives you that vibe similar to all the others that he did during that decade and and what he was able to do um and i we've talked about it before and i'm sure we'll talk about it again in the future but he was able to tap into um you know how just amazing a lot of young actors and actresses can be on film yeah because you that you know all his pictures are geared towards kids yeah and all stars of his films are young actors and actresses and it really shows in weird science um kelly lebrock playing the um the the lisa character of 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 being this uh, the woman of their dreams and and then yeah anthony michael hall who he's used time and time again in a lot of his films yeah but it is it's one of those just it's very goofy at times but it has a lot of that sci-fi tendencies in it and um yeah, I think it definitely has kind of become timeless, you know? Yeah, so we get to the end of 85. We move into our next chapter, uh, which they touch on the space shuttle. And this was this was kind of tough to watch, and it always is because they covered, like, the Challenger. And during that time, we were always shooting towards the sky. And um, that year brought... A challenging time to uh, NASA and uh, the space shuttle because it it was there were seven individuals that were killed on the Challenger, and it didn't just include astronauts. There were civilians that traveled with the astronauts. One very in particular, a teacher that was chosen from across the United States to travel with them, and it it touches on that. Uh, and, and it's very tough to see that space shuttle explode in the air like it was. People didn't know what was going on at that time, and it was just kind of shocking to see that because it was. It, there were a lot of people watching it in person, but also uh, they showed it live on television everywhere, so everybody was tuned in to watch it, and it really made people think, like, should we be doing this? And they talk a little bit about the first shuttle in science fiction, the Enterprise, and uh, really talked about Star Trek. And, you know, it was just a good chapter break. Any thoughts on the space shuttle? Yeah, I, like you said, it was. It, it, it was um, kind of hard to watch that in this, you know, this documentary that's supposed to be um, entertaining and um, informative. But I really feel... Um, it was good that they put it in there as a chapter because it was important. I yeah. mean, that was such a very uh, important moment in the but, 80s. But just like uh, we talked to, I, I think it's important because it just shows you, like even with the nuclear 
discussions that we talked about before nuclear weapons and the threat that was on us then it was like you know we get set back at times or there's fears but we have to keep pressing forward and it doesn't cause us to stop we there's yeah. all it, it, it will get better um, there are challenges that do set us back but we need to continue to strive beyond and and I think that's what science fiction does well we talked about Spielberg and uh, George Lucas and, and all of those big picture films really gave you that sense of yes there is a better tomorrow yes we can get um, to where we're going um, we we do have to fight battles we do have to come back from setbacks but we will get there and I think that's the message coming out of that yeah yeah the, the biggest thing that I took away from this chapter break was from all these movies and films that we watch and we consume and are entertained by we definitely see on the screen a lot of courageous people that are in these characters Absolutely. but that day um, just goes to show you going on the challenger that um, america we also have so many courageous men and women who also want to take that kind of step and who are out there um wanting to discover um wanting to push and strive and so that uh, that was my biggest takeaway that um even at home we have so many courageous uh people who um who you know it, whether it is science fiction in the in in the movies and the films but uh in reality going on these adventures that um it does it takes very courageous people and um but yeah, it was uh, it was a very uh, huge moment. Definitely a very uh, impactful. It was very impactful. Um, yeah. Because we, I mean, people still talk about that to this day, and it's hard to put into words and explain. And they were just like everyone wanting to move forward and see what's out there and discover and um, and and that's what's so great about especially our country united states you know we're um we're always pushing yeah. so uh, my hat's off to all those people because uh, they're some of the bravest men and women um in the world so yeah, absolutely so that takes us into 1986 with the first movie up being short circuit part et part robot and not alien but um a very uh, unique kind of robot that was very personable and it was i know there's two parts of short circuit this was the year the first one came out so a robot finding its humanity um with joy and adventure what's your thoughts on short circuit so yeah short circuit i've um i don't own any uh, physical copies of them but i've seen them before on tv uh, a few times and I just I loved the just because there's there's so much comedy in it like there because I loved that um, what was his name jo Johnny Five yeah. Johnny Five the name of the the character robot <laughs> but whoever voiced him the voice that character I um, I don't know who it was but I just I loved the the voice of it you know yeah um, it was and it also had um. Uh, what was the name of the the lead actor who played opposite of him? It was um, yeah, I can't remember. 
he'd been in a lot of things, but, um, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a really, uh, like a, almost like a, uh, it made you think of ET a little bit. Um, yeah. And no, it did. It was heart, heartwarming. Yeah. I mean, it was a, a yeah. robot that was, it, it, I mean, it, it definitely pulled on the heartstrings and it was kind of, uh, it, it was feelings. You, you, you seen him working to find feelings and you're always rooting for him. So yeah, it definitely had that vibe of, of ET for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it, I, I just, I just thought it was, uh, one of the funnier, uh, uh funnier sci-fi films. Cause you, you don't think, there would be a whole lot of comedy in sci-fi yeah. films, but this one has, I mean, had it. it was, I just, yeah, I've always uh, enjoyed it. Yeah. The next one up, Aliens. And this was very a very successful uh, film. This was one, we've, we've kind of touched on this too with Vietnam. It was kind of subconsciously about Vietnam and fighting against something that you can't see. And that's kind of what the aliens portrayed. And that was kind of what we were up against, uh, during the Vietnam era as well. But it, it had a really strong female lead, which we've talked about too on, on previous movies. And the, uh, it, it kind of had that mother versus mother storyline, the mother alien, uh, going to going up against the human that was, uh, who she was fighting really for the kids and protecting the kids, and and one thing that mentioning kids that was brought up in the documentary was how scary it was for the kids that were acting going back to the practical effects that were used they were pretty terrified of the alien creatures that were being used in the movie yeah i remember man the first time i'd ever seen an alien i was pretty young and uh what i'll never forget what terrified me the most was that and they kind of touch on a little bit but that scene where like the that little head comes yeah. out of the alien's mouth, and it's just like this huge extension that scared the crap out of me. <laughs> it's so realistic, and that yeah. goes back to what we were talking about with the creature effects, and just to to have that so like lifelike, like like how in the world did they do that? And and it just those kind of effects just they they really stick with you, and they. Like I said, all these years later, um, and I've seen yeah. it now, older, but yeah, you know, all these years later, that um, that's the most kind of yeah. memorable. Scene. They leave a lasting impression as you watch these when you're young, for sure. It's stuff you don't yeah. forget. Um, some of these films that you watched as a kid and things that stick with you that were that were terrifying at the time. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Flight of the Navigator is next up. And this is one I've got. I've not watched it though. Uh, Flight of the of the Navigator and a couple notes that they talked about um, on this one was just the uh, that it being really for for kids kind of had the special effects. I believe this is a Disney film, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then the uh, one thing that. I guess Max, which is the ship that is used in the film, is actually voiced by Pee Wee Herman himself, which was pretty interesting. Have you ever watched this movie? Uh, no, I, um, I, I don't think I even had heard of it before. And 
um, what I kind of liked about it though was, yeah, it was uh, mainly about this this kind of young boy who is really into like video games and stuff, and um, somehow he goes he like disappears or something or goes missing. Well, he goes, so time had changed. So like the spaceship was like a CGI kind of effect that they used at the time. And it was him in this machine for a while, but it, time had, had changed for everybody except him. And it was like eight years had passed, but he had stayed the same age. So everybody, yeah, advanced eight years ahead of him. So he was still in like, as of today, you and I speaking here, everybody else advances eight years ahead of us. That would be very uh a very alarming incident to happen so yeah it it was i don't i don't know how it happens cuz i'm not watched it but that was just one of the the notes that i'd taken that they were talking about yeah you said you, you got a copy of it i've got a dvd copy of it that i got used a long time ago and just haven't ever watched it yeah i mean it's on my list but i'm curious if there's any um boutique labels that have put a release out on it i don't think because uh, it's disney i don't i think it's just okay. a disney catalog item okay yeah it's definitely yeah one that i'll, I'll definitely be picking up uh, uh on my list that has grown to a very large list right now yeah so howard the duck was the next one and this one this was a originally not but then i think george lucas stepped in to uh finish directing on and and there was a lot of i, I mean a lot of you see this film and you think it's a kids film and it's not by no means it's like this this is an ornery uh character that was brought from a comic book i believe right howard the duck uh was originally a comic book character yeah, yeah, it um, from like years ago. Yeah, uh, it, and what's interesting about it was, um, um, like Leia Thompson, and that's kind of how I um, kind of had seen it, watched it, got into it because obviously her success from Back to the Future. But yeah. um, Howard the Duck was like, um, yeah, like you said. Um, kind of supposed to be for kids but when you watch it it's not for kids whatsoever (laughs) um and and i've read like i don't know if you have or have seen a lot of like critic like critics take on it and reviews on it but i've read some where um they like say it's like one of the worst movies ever made you know it's like one of the it's like one of the um kind of forgotten about films um I, I don't know about you, but I've, I have. So have you seen it? Um, no, but they just re- recently released it on a 4K, and that's what I was looking for because I've got yeah uh, the Steelbook Best Buy of it that that they had put it out, and I've not had a chance to watch it yet. I mean, it's it's definitely like one of them like kind of yeah goofy um, kind of because the story's kind of I mean it's about this duck from outer space like. I it it's kind of the uh, yeah. not memorable comic. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, it, I don't know. I I enjoyed it a little bit just because of Leia Thompson. I just think she's a really good actress. But um, but actually, they because if you remember the documentary, they interviewed the guy that was in the duck yeah. costume. Right? He was um, he. I guess this was like his first role, like his first film. And he kind of talked about his experience being on set and stuff. And um, 
I, you know, Tim, Tim uh, Robbins, I think was his name is what I'm so it, so yeah, this is rated PG and, um, let me read the back of this, this movie here. This is just how different times were in the eighties yeah. too. So from executive producer, George Lucas and the pages of Marvel comics comes Howard, the duck an unbelievably funny comedy about a fast talking cigar, chomping beer, loving duck from a parallel universe who crashes to Earth and somehow winds up in Cleveland. As Howard attempts to return to his own planet, he falls in love with rock singer Beverly Switzler, which is Leah Thomas, uh, or Thompson, and must battle an evil invader known as the Dark Overlord. This wacky uh, spoof of life, love, love of comic books and horror movies, Featuring out-of-this-world special effects is a treasure the whole family can enjoy. And some of the scenes that they had shown on this documentary from this movie, I was like, you might not want to show your kids some of those scenes. I mean, yeah, there's like a scene where Howard's trying to have sex with Leia Thompson's character, like of all things. Like, how how is a duck going to make love to a human being? So, But one thing that I found interesting, it's like, for him to like act that character the entire film in complete full costume, I mean, I bet that that had to have been a challenge. Oh, because, yeah, he said it was. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're not only trying to remember dialogue and know where everyone's marks are, but you're in this full-bodied suit. And, I mean, yeah, that had to have been a struggle. But yeah. uh, kudos to him, though, because, I, like I said, it, it plays like it, when you watch the movie – it doesn't seem like there's someone in that. No, like, no, it's, it's a yeah. very good practical effects again of a creature yeah. that, yeah, was, was very, yeah. was, was very believable that that was an actual walking, talking duck for sure. All right. So last yeah. movie of 86 that was highlighted is star Trek four, which we've talked about star Trek in part one of our review. And this is actually, uh, the Voyage Home. We talked about Spock being uh, killed off and shit sent out into another world and then his journey uh, back home after they uh, sought out in part three to go find him. And this one really highlights man as being the ultimate villain. Have you seen part four? Yeah, I have. Because this is the one where um, they actually end up going back to Earth, right? Yeah. And they're like in like uh, modern yep. or at, for the time modern, which was, was kind of strange to see with a Star yeah. Trek film, right? Right, being among society, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, but it made it made it a a, a very cool, um, different Star Trek film. Yeah, um, but yeah, I have seen it. Like I said, I've I've got all the major Star Trek films uh, in a collection, but. This was, yeah, this one was um, not, not my favorite, but um, it, it was a different, yeah, a, a little bit different for the, for that, um, for that franchise. All right. So uh, chapter break, here we go after 86. And this is what I was uh, talking about. We were going to get to scoring a brave new world. And the one that you think of that we just talked about was back to the future, but uh, Steven Spielberg in particular was one that really brought back the big orchestra for scoring these movies. I mean, you think of his films as a director, and really at the time, he was 
one of the only ones. I mean, you you get that big score with Star Wars as well. So again, George yeah. Lucas doing the same thing. But those guys are really what brought those orchestras and that big sound to those big movies. Without that sound, I don't think you get the same the same movie. You definitely don't get the same feel of that movie without that big score. Yeah, and one great example that I have is, um, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, was like I absolutely like. I will say like I, I love the movie, but I think I love the music in it more. And the film I'm talking about is The Terminator. Yeah, I love the sound of The Terminator because it's just so you don't. I, I've never heard that in any other film. That that um, like you can when I hear it, it's like you can hear him coming like a mile away. You know. Yeah, and um, I forget they they had mentioned what they made that clinking sound with that yeah. that you hear. And, and it yeah. kind of starts with that, and then it builds stronger and stronger. And yeah, you it's definitely, the film is great, definitely, and we've talked about that, but the, that music is what makes that film, yeah. for sure. Yeah, it, it definitely um, made all those scenes just come across so much different. And uh, But yeah, it's, it's uh, definitely one of my favorite scores. So one, one thing to just to mention back to the future again, uh, they, had, they had talked about it being the biggest orchestra of yeah. the time to actually bring them all together to score a film like that. I do want to mention um, kudos to uh, Creator VC and, and this documentary team because they have a really good soundtrack and a really good score that goes along with this uh, documentary as well and you don't see that for documentaries either and they put a lot of time and energy and effort into the sounds uh, making this documentary so as you go through the years same with all their other ones with in search of uh, darkness and what have you there's great music that's associated to this documentary yeah i think music's just always been a very uh important part uh in anything you're trying to put across so i think they really focused on um especially with um, uh, not just this documentary, but yeah, all their documentaries. They're um, they want to put out just yeah, just a great original um, score. And yeah, they're I just I love I love uh, and to have it different. I mean, it's a different it's a different piece in every year. Yeah, it, it's completely different. So um, yeah, they they spent a lot of t- a lot of time on on this on the music of this. Yeah, and I think you see that in today's big films too you don't see a lot of orchestras and a lot of big scores come to uh, the big big films of today you, you they talked about you get more sound effects but when you do get a, an orchestra score with today's movies you can really tell the difference for sure and and i think that is what kind of sets movies of today apart too when they do have those which is a, a rarity we've talked about uh 2001 a space odyssey before too and the temp track and i mean you just got different you got different flavors from a lot of different a lot of different films and that one in particular by using that temp track and some of the the music that was was in that film is really what made 2001 a space odyssey uh, a great hit as well because i think he could have gone in a million different directions with music and to go back to that temp track was just that's what that movie needed. Oh yeah, yeah. It to be able to just pull like yeah, music already existed, and yeah. then decide I'll 
well, this sounds good. This works. And it and really it did. did. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you would play like that film with like the score that he, because he had a whole score like finished and completed and created for that picture. If you would play yeah. that score to that film, it wouldn't play. It'd be a completely different film. Yeah. yeah. Sound is what makes the movies for sure. Which gets us to 1987. So here we go. We're coming. Uh, we're, we're coming towards the end of the decade, but we've still got a whole lot of great films in here. So let's jump right in. 1987. Uh, Jesse Ventura was interviewed a lot in this documentary. I noticed and uh, had a lot to say about a lot of different movies. This one in particular uh, with Predator, and this was. They talked about, and I have to agree, one of the, if not the greatest uh, sci-fi reveals when a, uh, that Predator removes removes his face gear and actually shows his face and his jaws open up. And it's like, that scared me as a kid. Speaking of aliens, yeah. and I know Predator and Alien eventually met up and uh, yeah. had their battle. But that film, I remember that scene, and and it was it was a very creative creature that they had there. That was was definitely a huge reveal when you've seen that yeah. that thing without his face shield on. Yeah, there again, what having an actor in you know full body suit and makeup like that, and yeah, especially that reveal. I mean, it really like. It, I mean, I think Arnold it, said it best when he when he said. Your one You're ugly mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, made the scene actually with, that, with yeah. his line, that line he delivered. That was um, funny. Yeah, Predator is a good but, film, man. Yeah, well, it's a very good image. Like, does um, does Caden have any Predator oh. action? Oh yes, Neca. They we actually was in. Uh, we were in Evansville a couple days ago. He always wants to stop by this collector, like. Uh, toy store they have all these collector uh, action figures they had a whole case full of predator he's got a handful of them but they had i think every one of them in that case yeah. and yeah again it's you see that with people like of that time they had predator toys that they came out with following those movies same with alien but even nowadays you see uh with NECA, they create actual collectible figures of those films yeah. in the past and they're highly successful at doing so just because of the following that films from the 80s have have had such following on they can create this whole big business out of collector toys now for people that love those films and want to have other collectible pieces of, around the film yeah yeah they're just such like just iconic lasting images and especially yeah. predator it's just um it had just such a great look um and and i mean it's and it's kind of yeah like what you touched on it it will always be like in the cult in the kind of pop culture so to speak yeah um especially with the merchandise all right so speaking of pop culture and merchandise and 80s and sci-fi and star wars and every other movie um that we've talked about almost. Uh, this one kind of brings a lot of them together in a very funny way. Spaceballs, Mel Brooks, uh, Star Wars, yeah. sci-fi, satire, 
merchandising being a big part of this movie. And and that's what they talked about. And, and that's kind of what they were poking fun of in that movie was how crazy um, the merchandising was at that time around a lot of these movies. And they highlighted that with the satire of Spaceballs, man. Spaceballs was hilarious. And, and every oh, yeah. time I watch it, every time I watch it, just laughs galore, man. It is so funny. Because they break the fourth wall, right, with... Uh... <laughs> Uh, the main actor, Rick, uh, Rick Moranis, which we know from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and yeah. he's been in a lot of Disney films. But, man, he just he plays that uh, spoof of Darth Vader, like just <laughs> the huge I helmet. Mean, the, yeah, the huge helmet. And then we got Chewbacca being a freaking dog. <laughs> and, uh, and oh, um, what's his name? The guy that's supposed to spoof Han Solo. Um yeah, and, but yeah. but what I love though is them freaking flying around in that RV <laughs> up in space. Like of all things, that's the spaceships of yeah a free uh, mobile home RV. You know, <laughs> um, it, it just made for I mean, because when you think about Mel Brooks, like you think about um, like so many uh, kind of different like films that he's made fun of the genre. Like look at he made fun of um, the horror genre with. Um, he didn't he do a he did a Frankenstein film young, I think. Yeah, young Frankenstein, yeah. Young Frankenstein, <laughs> yeah. And then he did um he did one on um was it did he do was it Blazing Saddles, I think? Uh yes, yeah, yeah he did. Yeah. That was that is such a funny movie. Yeah, he I think that came out, that came out after Spaceballs, I think. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, I've I've got a uh, I've got a collection around here somewhere that is a collection I, of all his films, and yeah, he was just what he did was hilarious. But I loved one of my favorite scenes was the one where yeah, where they reveal like behind the wall, like it's like a, a merchandise store for Spaceballs, you know, <laughs> and he's got the he's got that real ugly creepy little creature like uh dancing across the tabletop you know with the top hat and the cane you know <laughs> freaking hilarious yeah and then uh at at one point they're watching the movie of themselves watching <laughs> <Yeah>. the movies <laughs> and then they turn around and look directly into the camera uh, that's funny like that, that was a great one yeah all right so uh the next one i had not I've not seen either. It was about technology going awry, and that was inner space. Is this one that you're, you know of? Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I've never seen it, but I'd kind of heard of it a little bit. Um, it was kind of, um, because this is the one with Martin Short, right? Um, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, he he has someone track go into his body. I think this is the one. Uh, I yeah. think that's the one. And, yeah, like he travels, and it looked really interesting to me because, like I said, I kind of heard about it before um but i'd never seen it but yeah. it's definitely getting, but yeah he like like he gets into i don't i don't know why but he goes into like the character martin schwartz's body and he's like traveling all through his body which would um, be why it's called inner space yeah 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 um but it's kind of a take on like the shrinking woman that we talked about in the last yeah. episode well it was just and, a different another way of trying to be creative within the genre yeah. I and mean, you you go I mean, that's what's so the beauty about this is you can take it in so many different directions and you can create new stories constantly within science fiction because it, I mean, it's just how, how creative and how weird or how funny or how serious. I mean, it's just the, the doors wide open for whatever kind of creative yeah. thing you want to 
bring to the table and and this was one for sure yeah because because what's interesting is you know directors filmmakers producers in this specific genre sci-fi they can express themselves in so many different ways because you're dealing with fantasy elements yeah and you can get more fantasy than traveling into another person's <laughs> body yeah that's for sure all all things so all right uh, so definitely what i'll be checking out speaking of uh fantasy and bodies and uh future wow the next one is a heavy hitter here from 1987 robocop this this talks and we've talked about this one before too just with how graphic uh the the film itself was almost to the level of kind of horror in some scenes with how annihilated some of the humans within the movie actually get. And actually, I think it was dialed back a little bit uh, with with the releases at the time that was put out there. Definitely the ones that, because RoboCop was one that went to TV and all that. So a lot of that was edited out uh, for sure. But it was the future of law enforcement and the fight for dignity and uh, several things I jotted down here was the human condition being at stake. There was, it, it was very serious at times and very kind of emotional at times, just with uh, the character of RoboCop and how he got killed, but brought back to life within this robot and his partner trying to give memories back to him or remind him of things within his past and very emotional at times with how it kind of reflected back on his life with his wife and his daughter and but very very violent um the mppa actually cut back a lot of scenes with how violent the movie itself was um and it was it, it talked about capitalism running amok and trickle down economics and all that was wrapped up in this film and it was just a very impactful film of that decade for science fiction and still one today i know uh, it was a, a huge release and one that's been very sought after when it hit 4K with Arrow Video and limited edition set that they came out with has been very sought after. And I know RoboCop has a huge following to the point of them in some of these films that we've talked about doing reboots in recent times because of how successful RoboCop was in the past. Yeah, because speaking of that, I um, didn't I have just... Or- Getting ready to come out, I'd I'd seen um the TV series. Article. Yeah, is that it? The T and it's so, through. Is it through Amazon? Uh, no. So um, they've got uh, well, I mean, they had a TV series that came out in the eighties after uh, the movies came out, and they have now put those. It's actually a, a music company. I forget the the company that put those together, but has now released those on Blu-ray and DVD because of the success that has happened with the movies and their release through uh aero video with the first one now shout factory has done part two and three and i think they own the rights. so there may be 4ks in the work with uh shout factory doing parts two and three um but yeah the tv shows are now released and i didn't wasn't even aware of it having a tv show back in the day like that yeah well what i was getting at was i'd seen um um i don't know if it's real or not but I'd come across an article that had the image of the guy that played RoboCop, but they were doing some sort of reboot, like either like a sequel or I don't know if it's going to be on a streaming service, but um, I'll, I'll have to dig into it more and you yeah, might look at it too. Um, 
but it had his face. Um, I can't remember his name, but but yeah, Robocop. What kind of stands out to me most was like his just the image of it, the the armor, the bodysuit that he wore. You know, the the uh, so to that point too. Even watching that movie today. What's good about like Arrow Video or these boutique labels, you can get a lot of behind the scenes, a lot of um, yeah. interviews and stuff like that. But even watching that movie today, and I am just amazed at what they did with the makeup of him in that suit, especially when he's sitting in the station and he doesn't have the helmet on or, or anything. And it's just amazing what he looks like. Um, and how they did that, I still am very impressed with how they did uh, the effects with him because it's a it's a guy sitting there, but the way he, the back of his head looks, it looks just like a robot, yeah. and it's amazing because it's like how does that even work? Because it doesn't. I mean, it it's just amazing because it's not computer graphics or anything like that. It's it's yeah. actual practical effects, and it's like they were doing that in the eighties, and it's just remarkable the the stuff they could do and even to this day watching it in that 4k presentation seeing those scenes it still is remarkable to see it and i still ask how did they do that yeah it's um definitely one of those films that'll um kind of always be such a considered classic and um kind of viewed over and over yeah it's definitely one like i said i've got because there was three of them right one two and three yeah um i think I got one and two on blu-ray but i'd like to eventually get like a full set a full collection of the whole franchise yeah all right so the next one and we're going to pick up some speed because we're already these these episodes just fly by we're already over an hour here so we're we're gonna gain some traction i think um the next one predated reality tv uh, it was the running man and this was another one i wasn't necessarily aware of or had seen i guess is this one that you've you've watched before no but what i found um kind of cool about it was because you mentioned him a little bit ago this was one he was in too was jesse ventura yeah and he um kind of talked about how it kind of yeah it was kind of like a spin or a take on like reality television yeah. how like it, it was a very interesting story to me um on this take of uh people competing and their like lives are really at, like at stake yeah. so it's definitely one that yeah i'm gonna probably the try to seek out the crazy thing too like you think back in the 80s this was this was a long time ago right and here we are today yeah. in this movie people would walk in their house and turn things on with their voice we do that now we have those capabilities yeah. with our smart technologies that we can um, just come in and say, turn the lights on or turn the radio on or turn the TV on. All of that is capable now. And that was something thought of way, way back there when those technologies yeah. were not in existence, but only things that were speculated with science fiction. And that's how we get things to become realities and the technologies and advancing because of it being ideas that are thought up in some of these movies that end up being a technology that becomes a reality in the future that's what's be the beautiful about science fiction films too it's like the technologies you think of in the past in back to the future you think about like they were set in uh 2015 right and you think about the things yeah. that were 
of that time then, some of the stuff did match up with what they speculated from uh, the 80s and what it would be like in uh, the early 2000s. So it's really remarkable when you see that kind of stuff and um, to see stuff become a reality that was thought of 30 plus years ago is amazing. Yeah, it really is. Um, It's kind of like one of those, like in Back to the Future where like they kind of touched on, especially in 2015, like how society is so obsessed with like the culture from previous decades or previous years, like their cafe eighties in 2015. Like, I mean, that that's how we are now. We're so obsessed with stuff eighties and nineties. Yeah. It's vintage and nostalgia. And it's like, we want to have that, that piece. Uh, We're, that's why we're doing the seventies, eighties, nineties podcast, because we love those time periods, right? That's exactly it. And you see that reflected in, in these films. Yeah. So, all right. Or the so, best name was from. That's right. So, here we are, chapter break. Before we get into 1988, and it was covering science fiction heroes, villains, and anti-heroes, and talked about uh, human humanity uniting. So, any thoughts on the heroes, villains, and anti-heroes? Yeah, I mean, a lot of these films um, had such great. Um, kind of with like the anti-heroes you know whether it was a man or a woman but a lot of these kind of villain characters like um you kind of lean towards more or uh (laughs) kind of cheered for or rooted for because there's i mean there's a lot of villains in a lot of these sci-fi films that i actually um in liked more or enjoyed more than the actual heroes in the film you know yeah Uh, just like they're um not just their presence, but their their whole atmosphere around them. Especially in probably my f- absolute just favorite villain would be uh, Darth Vader Star Wars. Like the you know you're supposed to kind of uh, be against the bad guys or the villains, so to speak. But like he was probably one of my favorite characters uh, ever in 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 these sci-fi films. And even like I look at another villain from like back to the future with biff like i i loved i loved his character because he you know at times he <laughs> he kind of played kind of goofy kind of yeah stupid character and but that that's what that's what's great about a lot of these sci-fi films is yeah these um i mean for me like um yeah i kind of lean more towards um uh kind of the villain characters what about you? Like, what what kind of sticks out to you, or kind of what do you, what do, you, what do you look for uh, in the in whether it's heroes or anti heroes or the villains in a lot of these films? I think what is unique on a lot of these, you can kind of side with the struggles of. I mean, the villains came from somewhere. They came from a struggle, typically. But then, yeah. like with Vader and the dark side you you see the resistance rise up against the villain that you've kind of got a little bit emotionally tied to a little bit um and that's with like a lot of the villains not just speaking for star wars but then you start to see that rise up against it with um what what now is the underdog or the the hero that's coming to try to bring this villain down and that's when those emotions get tied tighter that way for me 
Yeah. And it's like I, you feel this pull on yourself as an individual, I think, as you watch these films. And I think that's the purpose. I mean, it you, you don't just get right in and you're tied to one person or side or hero. A lot of times it's right. a twist on some of these stories, too, to where you get tied to one side and then you switch as a, as a spectator. And it's like, oh, yeah, this is I'm I'm in it on the wrong team here and see that switch to whoever that hero is that's that's coming up against this um evil or this villain but you can you can definitely see um yourself relating to both sides at times in a lot of these films yeah i think the the story definitely kind of helps drive that too kind of with how you're not always having to lean on um whether you're for um the good guys or the bad guys or the heroes or villains, so to speak. Um, the story kind of, um, well, especially like in the star Wars, that emotion, um, kind of can help you attach to those characters. Um, and and like you said, yeah, with Vader, Vader being, um, he kind of came from a place of good, but then ultimately we know kind of his backstory and background. So, yeah. So, that emotion yeah it's it's gonna it'll um it, it will help you kind of lean one way or the other yep so speaking of um emotional ties and leaning one way or another let's see where you were at with this one 1988 coming in for the first one in review here for 88 earth girls are easy an mtv musical kind of movie what's your thoughts on this well i I never even heard of it <laughs> by you. I didn't either. I haven't either. This part two, or <laughs> it seems like that's the running theme with uh, part two of this uh, episode. It's it's ones we've not seen and and ones we haven't heard of. Well, what I found funny was like the only thing I knew from it was Jim Carrey of all people's in it. <laughs> And and these aliens look like freaking characters from the show Teletubbies. You remember that? <laughs> They're like bright colors, yeah, like bright, yellow and blue yellow. or green, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, and they're supposed to be like furry aliens. Like, <laughs> I don't know where they got their like imagery for their aliens for this film, but like, yeah, like it. I don't know. It looked like a kind of like just like a yeah, real low budget B movie. Uh, something I just forget about, but yeah, that's. Uh, not one to probably spend much time on, I guess. So the next right. one that came up following that is Akira, an anime Japanese government experiment film. Um, it opened the door for Japanese anime to America. So it was, I know you see that a lot, a lot now um, in, in our times with all the anime, like graphic novels a lot of the Japanese films that we see, um, a lot of a lot of the anime, but now even Japanese films getting Oscar nominations in uh, a lot of the movies that uh, are coming out of Japan into America. So I mean, even even now we see a huge impact with with those types of films. But the anime move just kind of I I think grew from the time this film was released to where we've seen it go in the nineties and into the early two thousands and, and even into today. Yeah. This one kind of, kind of surprised me a little bit that they actually included it. You know, I know in our part one, they, we had talked about, um, from earlier in the decade, 
when they brought up uh, heavy metal. Yeah. Um, I, I was, yeah, I wasn't expecting them to throw in some of these, um, animation films. Um, cause I'd never, yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of it before, but I can see where they were leaning going towards with, um, anime at that time too. I mean, it really did have an impact on the, on the culture and, um, especially what was being done and, and made at the time. Yeah. The next one we touched on a little bit in part one, because, uh, we did one of the chapter breaks talked about, just just the advertising and commercial side of things kind of films had, but also uh, products that we consumed being inside of films. And this one was a huge one. I just recently watched this not too long ago. And it's one that is not like super well enjoyed or liked because it's kind of a spin. I, I mean, they were, they were kind of coming off the success of E.T. and trying to model something similar to that. Uh, but this one was Mac and me and it, it, I mean, part of that movie, they're inside, which it is speaking of nostalgia inside yeah. of a McDonald's from the 1980s and Ronald McDonald's is in there and they're all dancing and you see the golden arches on the window. And I remember going into McDonald's back in the nineties and it looked just like what a McDonald's would look like in the late 80s, early 90s. So it was definitely, I mean, it, it's not a bad movie. I, I enjoyed it. It Like like I say, it's kind of a spin of E.T. Um, but I guess part of that movie too, the, a por- the reason McDonald's was in it, a portion of the proceeds went to the Ronald McDonald house, which was pretty cool. And uh, yeah. it actually starred a young Jennifer Aniston in that film. So that was pretty cool. Have you ever watched Mac and Me? No, I haven't. This was one we kind of talked about a little bit about before. Um, I had heard of it. I never, I'd never seen it, and and I knew that it was kind of like a yeah, like a a new or different take on um, yeah. ET. And um, but it yeah, there it is. So spin, uh, Shout Factory has has this one, and you can kind of see the character on the back. So definitely, a, a, yeah, it was such a goofy, yeah. It, it's such a goofy. Well, I mean, I don't know. E.T.'s kind of goofy looking too, but that this that, one was yeah. a lot good. So, like, it's got this character. They always had their face was always like, and <laughs> like, uh-huh. a, uh, and and their parents at the start of the film, the parents of this character, because they send him off to right. to Earth, but the character or the parents were like these, like they were completely naked, but they like didn't have any parts to identify him as male or female but just the way they looked in those uh body suits that they had of of these characters it's like how in the world did they dream some of this stuff up at the time it's just oh it's just crazy but it 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 wasn't bad i mean yeah and you know it was having mcdonald's like involved and stuff you know yeah, you know it was a successful, even though the movie might have been crap. <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, still probably money back. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, that's probably why it did somewhat decent. If it, because I, I don't know how yeah. well it did, but I'd say McDonald's drove some of that. And I'm sure they had at the time. Um, we talk about toys. McDonald's always had in their Happy Meals toys. I'm I'm curious if they had some Mac and Me toys in their Happy Meals well, of that time. What I found kind of funny was in the documentary they talk about how Paul Rudd and he and he 
talk show he'd go on, he would, I guess, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, that was his favorite movie. So I'm like, I mean, man, I, that's probably kept that film in a lot of people's minds over the years. If he's going on all these talk shows. Yeah, it, all the way up it. until today's time, he plugs it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. All right, so be, the yeah. next one, uh, Alien Nation. This one touched on themes of racism and segregation. It was a buddy cop movie and had the feel of Terminator. And, and this is one I've not seen. Yeah, no, me neither. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like a, um, from what they talked about and shown like this, yeah, kind of buddy cop. And it was, he was, one of the cops was an alien from another world. And um, it did, it kind of gave a little bit of like, um, a little bit of like um, Terminator or RoboCop kind of vibes, you know. But I think it was like, there again, it was another, I think one, another one of these lower budget films that, um, I mean, in, when I think of the title Alien Nation, I mean, that, that just kind of screams to me too, like kind of, yeah, uh, kind of B movie, you know, lower budget. Um, but I don't, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if I, I highly doubt it was uh, a big success. Yeah. So the last one covering 88, uh, before we jump into the chapter break and get to our last year, um, was cherry 2000. And this one was a post apocalyptic world. Um, the underworld was barely getting by. Uh, most of the world had like given up on relationships. There was the Easter egg they talked about was there was an Easter egg in it that had, uh, Oh, Roby the robot uh, from like the early fifties, right? Had yeah. like a scene where they passed by, and that was like a. It was in there in that scene. You could see it. So, I had I've not seen Cherry Two Thousand either. Yeah, no, me neither. Um, there again, um, I think it was another just kind of kind of forgotten about film. Um, yeah, uh, low budget, and but but I'm glad they you know took the time to highlight uh, it. Yeah, and, dis and discuss it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then, uh, so after 88, we get a chapter break there before we get into 89. And what they had touched on here was, this one was very interesting uh, because we, we talked about it a little bit um, here just a minute ago, but futuristic visions and cautionary realities. And what always asking the question with these science fiction films of what might be or what could be when you think future so what does real life look like uh, as science fiction kind of emanates real life and then real life emanates science fiction it seems like those are always kind of working together so these movies drive technologies and here's what could be or here's what might look like it might look like in the future some of the things that we have seen become reality in our current times where if you think back 30 plus years ago and you mention these items to the people of those times, they would think you're crazy. But you have uh, motion trackers that you've seen in a lot of those films at the time. That is what we have now, GPS. Everybody uses that every single day, constantly. A lot of us couldn't get to where we're going without it, right? GPS as motion trackers is a reality that was just something that was thought of back in the day where you had like a beeping dot on a screen if they were trying to track somebody. Um, you think of 
like phones now, uh, watches where you can talk. I was talking to Preston um, just yesterday on my phone when I was in Evansville and talking to him in Bloomington from his watch. And it's like, these are crazy technologies that weren't even like, how could that even be a possibility back then? And it's just a common thing, normal thing that we can't do without now in the world we live in. You think of drones, you think of, uh, even with our phones, facial recognition. You look at your phone to unlock it most of the, like every time I do something on my phone, it unlocks because it, the camera looks at my face. Facial uh, recognitions, there's artificial intelligence. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And it's like all of these things were just things that were ideas or thought of during that time, but has now become reality. So science fiction has painted the world that we're in now, and we're painting the world of what the future looks like 20, 30 years from now as well. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy that to to think that all like all of these ideas that um, came from all these different people that shown shown up in all these movies and films that have, have yeah become a, an everyday standard for uh, the average person. Yeah. Um, so for me, it, like I kind of just am kind of optimistic about like the future because like because like now now it's you you think now it's like well what's next like what does the future hold what's the future going to look like it's neat to to be able to see a lot of these things that first show up in these sci-fi films and then years later they become a reality it's like what, what isn't that just a movie thing like it, that's so cool like that our technology can adapt and 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 um almost be kind of yeah like how they said how sci-fi is reality reality sci-fi but to think like that like that's um it just like i for me it's like yeah i can't wait to see what um the next 20 10 even the next five years is going to be yeah. like yeah because i blow our minds i mean oh yeah you know, with we, this rapid of change that we see yeah. for any given five years from from the time from the 80s to now it's just been humongous i mean the internet wasn't even a thing then right i mean yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. that we can't function without the internet in the world we live in now it's just amazing how quickly things change in a short period of time so yeah, I mean, speaking of speaking of time travel and vehicles and phones 1989 another time travel movie with a phone oh, yeah. booth Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. What do you think? Time Man. travel at its finest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if there was a, anything to scream pop culture, it would be this film. Yeah. Uh, Alex Winter, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> yeah, this was... Oh, man. This is one of my... Um, I've seen this movie so many times. One of, an abs, one of my absolute favorites. Um, dealing with, there again, young, young kids... Uh, just trying to pass a um, trying to pass a history test or pass a a, um, a, a history exam, and they <laughs> travel of all things. Yeah. They're freaking yeah, traveling of all things. A phone, uh, phone booth, <laughs> going yeah. through history, kidnapped, and, you know, going through time and picking up all these historical figures. Yeah, Socrates, Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it it was very. Um, 
I think it was very fitting for 1980s. Yeah, no, and it's that adventure, right? It, it just makes it's a feel good movie because it's an, an adventure that they're on, and it pulls you in as the viewer to be part of that adventure, and that's what I think makes a a great sci fi. I love every time it it does that just like back to the future and and all these others it, it, in and et like we talked about you wanted to be there with them and that's what like yeah. bill and ted did that's what all of these um adventure type science fiction films do they they w- make you want to be part of that adventure with them yeah yeah my of uh, that film like my favorite scenes yeah when that phone booth comes f- crashing from space up in the sky, it lands right there at that Seven Eleven, and Keanu uh, or Ted turns uh, to Bill and says, "Something's afoot at the Seven Eleven. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, that was—I mean, that's so—and that's so much product yeah. placement. Like, they had that, you know, Seven Eleven in there, and they had so many other like different. I mean, they really um, uh, used marketing to their benefit, especially in that film. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a classic. It, it's yeah. yeah, and it had a great follow-up uh, sequel as well. So the next one, Miracle Mile, is is this one one that you've watched? No, I that was uh, what was it about? I can't remember this one, so we're gonna skip it too because we're running yeah. tight on time. So Miracle yeah. Mile, I'm gonna see because I'm not remembering a lot on it either. Um, so if you do know something about it and you're listening, uh, hit our social media pages and let us know if it's good or if it's not. If it's good, I'm gonna try to check it out. If it's not, probably one I'll pass on because I've got a long list of other ones to watch. The next one is one that I do know and I believe. So I really believe I watched this in the theater as a kid. So I was born in '84. I would have been five years old at the time of its release in 89. And this one was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Talk about um, being a kid at the time and watching this movie. It was like, man, that would be so cool to be shrunk down and just go on an adventure in your backyard. Because it was uh, the the props and uh, the practical effects they used in this one too. Like blades of grass were huge. Or you'd see this bug that came in and the lawn water out in the backyard was like this terrifying thing that was crashing these big droplets of water on you. It was like, wow, that would be so scary. But yet, wow, that would be so cool to experience that. And it just went on this big adventure adventure with this these kids with the dad um creating this uh this this uh pr- this uh laser kind of thing up in the attic uh of their house and the kids getting in front of it and it's shrinking them down to miniature size and then all of a sudden they can't be seen because they're so tiny and it's just one that i really liked as a kid and even one that i i like as an adult to watch with my kids as well yeah it was one of those great disney films you know it spawned a few sequels and a tv show and yeah it um it made you um there again it was one of them sci-fi films that kind of made you kind of suspend your belief and um kind of just get sucked into the story and yeah i i definitely would have been you know sign me up that those, <laughs> especially like that adventure yeah your backyard is being you know the size of a an ant know, or an ant, yeah, yeah, or like, smaller because they were smaller than an ant. Because the ant was like this huge monster, I think, in, yeah, in the movie, and, right? Yeah, and one of the one of the like kid friends, like he, they rode on one of them. Ants. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 
like it was so i mean it was really good visual oh uh, yeah for sure yeah uh so the next one we've got two more to wrap us up and this next one is one that i i know about i do want to watch but there's not a physical like blu-ray release of it but they keep talking about um it getting one um but the uh, director not being able to work on it because of his work with Avatar sequels. So this next one is The Abyss, and I hear so many good things about this movie, and I've just never had a chance to watch it. And I want to get it on a uh, Blu-ray release, but you can't find it. I think it was released. Maybe uh, I think a DVD co- or a DVD release of it has has been out there. That one's still hard to get too. There's like a bootleg copy I think you can get, but he's he's uh, continually talking about getting these out. But he's got to um, sign off on the uh, release of it to make sure it's up to his standard before it gets um, put out on a physical copy like that. And I'm just hopeful one day we will see its release, but I don't know when that's going to be. Um, because they continue to take a long time with the Avatar sequels that are soon to be coming out, at least. Yeah, so you see in that, like, kind of his... James Cameron, I should say, is the director there. You know, his his sequel coming up to Avatars kind of deals with what he deals in that best with the water, because the title of this Avatar sequel is The Way of Water, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what I love in this documentary about talking about their um uh struggles and um kind of their um uh, difficulty and i mean because most that film is shot underwater they kind of talked about how james cameron kind of almost drowned filming some scenes being underwater it was it was like a terrible experience to create that film with all of the actors and everybody that was involved was my understanding yeah because i mean they had to train and they had like I think a whole separate crew of like underwater scuba divers who were like um, like down um, underwater with them for every scene, you know, um, making sure that um, their um, their oxygen tanks were working. And I mean, yeah, I definitely think that probably had been very difficult in yeah. trying to film a movie like that, but. But yeah, that's one. Yeah, I've never seen. I, mean, I kind of knew about it because it's got Ed Harris in it, really good actor that I like. And but yeah, it, that would be kind of neat if they. Yeah, because I kind of knew like there wasn't a real good physical copy of it out there. So yeah, um, yeah I think cool the I think the DVD copy that they've got is like real dark. So I think it's what would be nice is a 4K release where it brightens all that up and makes it all vivid. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that that will come once the. Uh, avatar movies are finished and he can devote some time to those classics that uh that need a release because if they don't get released they just eventually die because there's not any availability to get them so last one we're gonna finish up on and what a great one to end with back to the future 2 yeah there again um kind of what we just talked about a little bit ago about how um, what was great about this franchise was, um, and I know you can touch on it too a bit, has how in this sequel of, um, I don't think we've ever seen before in any film or any franchise after was going 
going in this sequel, they go back into the original film. Like they yeah. literally go back to the first movie of this franchise and you get to see scenes from the original film in a different perspective a different view like i mean that just that blew my mind yeah right? it was yeah when i first saw uh, back to the future 2 it was r- remarkable at like i had mentioned earlier what they did with going back into time back in time back into the movie into the scenes that we just watched with the same characters that are now traveling back in time and experiencing that all together and how the things that they did impacted future years when they went back into the future and then had to go back even further uh, eventually way back uh, with the third one that would eventually come out to to fix all of this and it was just such a, a, a wild ride the whole time um, and this was probably the most adventurous film that I've ever watched um, and it's the one that you just really appreciate being on the ride with them and getting to to experience that experiencing that for the first time was just amazing but every time you watch it it just gives you that sense of adventure every time so this is one that I've watched uh, countless times and one that I'll continue to watch countless times it's one I've bought on every release that has been put out um, in a physical copy from original VHS tapes to DVDs to Blu-rays now to 4Ks and it is just amazing to see the picture quality improvements but just all of the extras that you get to experience that went into the making of these movies is just amazing too and this is one of my favorite films and probably will be my all-time favorite film because it would have to be quite a trilogy of films to beat back to the future because it was quite remarkable oh yeah like we've said too that you know in the future um we will definitely come back to this franchise. Oh, absolutely. It, uh, yeah, so this franchise deserves its own episode. Yeah. Well, and we've toyed with possibly doing a special audio commentary on the original film. Yeah. So uh, there's so much that we can discuss about it. Um, oh, but, yeah, absolutely. But, and um, I want to I wrap up with a few things that they ended kind of talking about things but to kind of sum all of this episode up and actually sum all of part one and two up as as we come to an end here some things that they talked about looking to tomorrow today that's what science fiction's about it it is looking out into what does the future hold i know with some of these films they go back into the past because of the need to change things out into the future and there's just a lot of dynamics that come along with science fiction and it always seems to be a reflection of earth at the time so these films were made in a time where there was a lot of challenging things going on Uh, we see that even today as we see films being made where our society goes through things together and these films bring us to to escape from our realities at times but also to show that there is hope in a better tomorrow that um, we do have an impact on what the future holds 
And really, it's it's all about us as human beings and a society that it inhabits this earth together. And always what is kind of beyond the stars and, and what is out in the sky and, and what are what is in the depths of the ocean, the places that we necessarily haven't been able to explore to their fullest or even scratch the surface of what is is out there. Um, and it just gives you that sense of discovery and adventure. And what do we want out of the experience that we know as humans uh, out of life? What are the important social issues that go on around us on a daily basis? We talked about, before we got on here, there was uh, some recent gun violence in our state, and we've just come through seeing several instances of, of gun violence across other states. And we, we live in challenging times year after year, decade after decade. And a lot of times it's these social issues and these challenging times that get pulled together into filmmaking and into art to really talk about a, a, a circumstance in a different way, but shed light on that situation that that we are going through at the time and and we've seen that a lot with the 80s and with that decade of science fiction uh we talked about nostalgia a lot where where we were in the past and how that has kind of built who we are today and who we are today is building who will be in to the future and when you look at at art art looks beyond the reality and it shows us what's possible tomorrow, right? We we watch science fiction films today and think that is beyond the reality we know, but that is what creates what we know tomorrow or five years or 10 years or 30 years down the road when people are talking about the films on a podcast or whatever podcast might be in the future. Uh, who knows what how, how we'll be digesting information, consuming stuff uh, as we know it. But sci-fi shows us how tomorrow can be better than what it is right now. And I think this documentary does a phenomenal job in the five hours that it gives you, which is a lot, but it flies by because it shows you all of the the things that have gone on in that decade from the 80s, the movies that were built around it, the, the challenges that we were going through, and how today has gotten better than what we knew in the 80s because of a lot of that discussion, a lot of that entertainment, and a lot of that art. That is what drives us to be better. Yeah, definitely with this documentary, um, the sci-fi genre kind of is that genre of, especially seeing from this documentary, like the endless and endless number of possibilities um, from kind of the not knowing, the unknown, and seeing that in countless, all these different number of films um, told in a variety of ways. You, you see in a lot of these films um, just the vast different number of stories that can be told, um, whether it's uh, fantasy or, or uh, mystery or, yeah, dealing with time travel and dealing with the outer space. And um, there's just so many different, so many different roads that can be taken um, with the, all these different stories. Um, but, but definitely... Um, my biggest thing on it is, yeah, just the, 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 the not, you know, not knowing, like the unknown, like 
because we really we don't know what's next like we touched on with technology but definitely even just in filmmaking in general we don't know what's coming in the future for filmmaking but i think it's a very um very prominent future i i i think we're in for a pretty exciting ride i think in the future when it comes to filmmaking we definitely see it in the films uh that were discussed in the documentary you know and, and then we've seen years later but i i really think yeah um we're we're in for a pretty good treat when it when it's specifically for this genre i think sci-fi um in the last 30 40 years has just scratched the surface absolutely yeah so tomorrow is definitely going to be better there is a a hope that's out there and that's the message that you see ring true in all of these films and i think all of the films to come we do have a bright future ahead of us we've got so much technology currently that's going to advance rapidly as we look forward into the future and i'm curious to see what is in store for us so that's our less than two hour uh review for part two and uh we came in just under two on part one so we've got a little over three hours in total of our review for a five-hour documentary but what do you got as we wrap it up here ryan okay well we gotta we gotta leave our we gotta give our listeners our review oh i i i totally forgot the most important thing all right so as we as we screech it in here just under two hours for part two what would you rate this let's see out of 10 flying saucers what would you rate in search of tomorrow as a whole we're talking sound music development movie portrayal uh chapter breaks all of it together all in in search of tomorrow physical copy out of 10 flying saucers what would you rate it yeah i would have to go with uh 10 out of 10 they definitely did a phenomenal job on it all right so i have to agree Uh, and i was i came in with high expectations and i'm coming out of it with those expectations being met so i have to agree 10 out of 10 flying saucers for in search of tomorrow if you have not picked up your physical copy yet please jump over there and do so support creator vc but more importantly if you don't your time is running thin on being able to get this physical release of this great documentary of the 1980s decade of science fiction film so if you haven't subscribed to us give us a a subscribe check us out on all, all of our social media pages facebook twitter instagram uh tiktok letterboxd And who knows, whatever social media platforms are out there, we'll probably be signing up and making accounts for. That way you can connect with us and we can connect with you in every avenue that's available for us to reach out. If you haven't shared us with a friend, please do so. And we appreciate all the listeners that are out there, all the listenership that we get on a regular basis. We will continue to drop these episodes, probably not two hour long episodes. Um, We'll get back to our normal time slots, but this one deserved the uh, devoted time to it to talk through because it was such a phenomenal documentary and uh we've got so much bonus content coming at you on a a week-to-week basis as well we're continuing to plug through our summer block party here at electric entertainment we appreciate you guys jumping on and listening we will be talking about what comes after summer 
in the coming episodes. So you'll definitely want to be subscribed. That way you're getting all the latest content from Electric Entertainment. Until next time, this is Chris and Ryan, and we will catch you on the next episode of Electric Entertainment. Peace out.